If you have a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We are in a series that we are calling Foundational. All right, the basic idea is that there are some core and basic beliefs in Christianity that are incredibly important to hold, but I think in order to actually like hold them, we have to understand them. Okay, and the modern church has made some shifts throughout its lifetime. Uh, and one of the more recent, kind of the last couple decades, is a shift away from more formalized Christian education. Okay, now the most basic way that this was done in a lot of, uh, we'll say, more evangelical churches was something just called Sunday school. All right. Uh, and there, there's catechism, there's other things like that, but it's this Christian education. Now, Sunday school has kind of been walked away from in a lot of churches. Uh, and, and what we've said is we feel like there, there is now a lack of understanding of some of our basic beliefs. All right, and, and this is very important. Because uh, even Jesus, like in the parable of the sower, he has seed that's being scattered on different types of soil. If you remember, there's four types of soil. Uh, and, and you have like uh, the footpath, and you have shallow, rocky soil, you have thorns, and then you have good soil. Uh, and arguably, the first three soils, like when you're looking at why the seed, what Jesus says this represents, and why the seed doesn't grow, you could come back and almost say the majority of that has to do with the fact that people are not understanding what they believe and truly like holding on to it in the face of adversity. Okay, like that, that's what's happening there. And so the first week in the series, we made a point that as, as we walk in relationship with Jesus, we should always be growing. Okay, it's not optional as a Christian if you want to be growing or not. Like either your relationship with God is growing and you are growing closer to him, you are, you are growing in your understanding and your knowledge and in your relationship with him, or it's dying. Like, there just really doesn't seem to be a middle ground there. And so, it's not optional. This is something we have to do. Last week, we talked about baptism a little bit after we were able to be part of six baptisms. Now, I'm going to be honest here. I got really excited last week after baptisms. And I, I, I walked out that week, and I was like, I didn't really even hit on, like, half the main things I wanted to talk about with baptism. Okay? So, if you walked away last week being like, I don't really know what was going on. You're not the only one. Apparently, I didn't either. All right. Essentially, what I wanted to kind of get across in this, baptism is one of those areas that depending on the church you're in, there's all sorts of beliefs. This is an area that people really kind of argue about in different things. Um, and when it comes down to it, like every denomination for the most part almost does it differently. Uh, and, and here's what isn't different though. This is what I wanted to kind of get across. Almost every denomination wants to make a big deal and celebrate when someone is born into the faith community. When there's a family that's part of a faith community and someone is born in that, okay? Uh, and they also want to celebrate and make a big deal when someone makes a decision to follow Jesus. Those two things are important moments in someone's life and people want to celebrate those. For many liturgical churches, when someone is born into the faith community, baptism is the way that they would celebrate that. And then later in life, they have something called confirmation, which is when they would confirm what was done in their baptism, what they believed, what was said. Okay, so that's kind of when they're making a decision for themselves, I want to follow this. That's the idea of confirmation. I'm probably butchering it. There's probably people in the room that are like, you are way off on this. You know more than I do about this. I've never been in a liturgical church. This is my understanding of it. Now, there is a lot of other theological beliefs that happen in there as well, um, especially surrounding uh, baptism in a lot of 
uh, liturgical churches, there would be a, a thought of like uh, washing away original sin, different things like that. Uh, that's not really something that we hold to. Now, in our church and in many other um, non-liturgical churches, we celebrate those same two events. When someone is born into the faith community and when someone makes a decision for themselves. The difference is when someone's born into the faith community, we do something that we call child dedication. What that is, if you've been here, maybe you've seen it. It's a family getting up here with their children and basically saying, we are going to make a commitment to raise this child in a way where they will be set up for success to go after God. That's what we want to do. And then actually we kind of turn it around and we say, hey, it's more than just a single family. As a church, we make a commitment. We are going to help in the best way we can with your child, raising them up in a way where they will follow Jesus. All right, so that's what we do when someone is born into the faith community. When someone makes a decision to follow Jesus for themselves, maybe that's later on in life when they kind of have uh, an understanding of what that decision looks like, what that means, uh, then we do baptism. And so we did that last week, and it was an opportunity for people to get up, and we shared their story of how God's been moving in their life. Uh, but what I wanted to kind of point out is this. Like, there is so much arguing and fighting around some of these things. The reality is when you kind of bring it down to the bare bones, I think everybody's in agreement on we want to celebrate certain things in people's life. And we may disagree about how to do that at times, and we may disagree about some of the theological things behind it. But as a whole, I want us to be able to kind of come together in some of these beliefs more than be divided. All right? Um, and so th this is kind of like a quick overview um, in this, all right? And so in, in liturgical churches, the other thing that we see, and this will matter for today, is that in a lot of, of liturgical churches, church history, which would mean what people have believed over the years, matters a lot. Um, depending on your background, it carries different weight. In Eastern Orthodox churches, church history, church tradition, carries almost equal weight, or even they would say equal weight with Scripture. Okay, then there's in other places where, like within the Catholic Church, it doesn't carry equal weight as Scripture, but church tradition is really high up there. Where if we don't understand something from Scripture, or Scripture's not super clear, they will look at how has the church done this in the past. And that makes sense, that you would even go back to the first, second, third century, and say, what did the very first Christians believe about this? And so they, they kind of put more weight on that. In a lot of Protestant churches, we don't put nearly as much weight on church history. We're like, okay, we want to see it in Scripture. If we don't see it in Scripture, then don't try and tell me that that's what we're supposed to do. Like we're very, now here's what I'll say. I think there's a tension there, and I guess for me, I would argue that a ton of weight on church history might not always be the best way. I would also say that putting no weight on church history is not the best way. I think there's probably somewhere in the middle where we can understand what Christians before us have believed. We can hold that and not be super uh, rigid about that and super legalistic about it. Okay, so we're going to move into this today. What I want to do today is this. I want to talk about the question of what makes us Christian? Like, why are there different denominations and traditions? And with that, are all of us Christian? Are some of us Christian? What makes it? So like where's that line where we say this is Christian and this isn't? Because the reality is I've gotten this question a lot from different people. 
And it often has to do with specific like denominations. Like, are they Christians? Are they going to heaven? Are you know, like all these different types of things. And I, and I just felt like, okay, if we are going to believe um, core beliefs, we should understand what makes us Christian. So my hope is, is that by pointing to areas where we kind of see division, that actually by pointing to those, highlighting them, explaining them, it actually would bring more unity than division. I think too often the church is divided, all right? So after all, Jesus said any kingdom divided against itself is going to be ruined. A house divided against itself will fall. All right, so let's do this. Let's stand together if you're willing, if you're able. Let's stand. I want to read this out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is a letter from Paul. This is basically he has greeted them like he always does. And this is about the first thing that Paul jumps into in this big letter to the Corinthians. Okay, so we're going to start in verse number 10. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I am a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. All right, God, we pray that today as we look at some of these challenging things, Lord, that maybe our understanding would grow, that our empathy and compassion would grow, and that, Lord, you would be honored just through um, having a more attitude of of unity. God, that that is what would come from this morning. Jesus, we ask that in your name. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. It is amazing how often Paul or the other apostles, when writing to the early church, are stressing the idea of unity. They are constantly trying to get people to not be fighting with each other, not be going their own way. This shouldn't surprise us. Like literally, this is how our story of humanity started. We started in partnership with God, and God said, hey, as you grow, as you walk with me, You will learn what knowledge is. You will learn what is good, what is evil. You will learn the best way to to reign and rule and steward this creation. And almost immediately we said, no, we want to do it our own way. All right? And that's what started this whole thing, is this idea of like, I don't want to do your way. I want to do it my own way. All right? We wanted to be individuals. Uh, The Jewish people had several different factions. Like when Jesus shows up on the scene, we read about this. Uh, We had had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes. Uh, Some of this was political. Some was theological. You had zealots and extremists that wanted to take the government of Rome down. They were willing to walk through the streets and stab tax collectors in the back. Like it was, there was all these different groups that believed they knew how they should be doing this. You had the Jews of Qumran, you had the Dead Sea Scrolls, these groups that actually would like leave Jewish society and go out into the desert and live as their own little sect out there. So you had all these groups that were happening. And then almost as soon as the early church started, you saw people again wanting to break into their own groups. Groups that had some things in common and other things different. The Jewish Christians wanted to maintain a lot of the Jewish identity and the way of life while moving into this new movement. Uh, It wasn't until Antioch, actually when that church was planted, that the church became multi-ethnic. 
and move beyond the Jewish people. And we remember hearing like tons of arguments about what they should continue to do from the Jewish faith, what they shouldn't. Um, and Paul and Peter actually get into it, like a pretty big argument over this. Paul calls Peter out because Peter's like, yeah, that's great. We should reach Gentiles. And then he shows up and he sits at a table only with Jewish people. He won't sit with the Gentiles. Because the way the people they shared a table with was important. And Paul just kind of reams them out. He's like, what are you doing? This is not what it's supposed to be. And so they kind of get into it. And so we see this from the beginning. Like, it's all this division and, and the ripples that come from this. And division has been the game plan of Satan from the beginning. Like, he succeeded in dividing the creation from our creator. Right off the bat. And since then, it is divide, divide, divide. And when you look at the history of the organized church, it is constantly being divided. Okay, this is just a graphic I pulled off Wikipedia. Okay, it's not even anything real uh, amazing and formal. But you can see we have the church that starts and you, you break off early into the Eastern church. You kind of have the Eastern and the Western church. All right, then other splits begin to happen. And then kind of the real famous ones is, you know, when Protestants came and Martin Luther nails his theses to the door and says, you know, we're not going to stand for this, and that breaks off. And then from there, you have break after break after break after break. And it's just, it's all over the place. And as Christians, we are more divided than ever. In the U.S., it's estimated that there are over 200 Christian denominations Okay, denomination is just a phrase of a group of people that kind of have these similar beliefs and how they believe. Globally, it is estimated that there are over 45,000 denominations. 45,000. That is mind-boggling. All right, and so I want to say this. This is something I was, the wording of this isn't amazing, but I wanted to think through this. And so our human desire for individuality it can be beautiful when it seeks to honor God by honoring who he made us to be, right? Like there, there are ways that God made me that is different from you. And when I actually like, when I believe that and I try and live the way God created me to be, it honors him. But our individuality, it is destructive when we allow it to be the driving force of how we worship God. I can't worship God that way. This is how I worship God. This is how I connect with God. I don't want to do that. I want to do this. I want to do my own thing. I want to follow my own desires. And I just, I don't think we were ever meant to be individualized. This was meant to be communal. This was meant to be done together. Not just seek after what makes us happy and how we want to follow our own personal preferences. And Paul, Paul fought for unity. Jesus' desire was for unity. Uh, like, uh, how do, we, how do we do this when we know that we will never be able to get everyone to agree on our beliefs? Or even more than that, how to practice that? Like, that's the million-dollar question. How do you have unity when we're never all going to agree? Especially when something seems pretty important in our beliefs. How do we decide what are the major mountains and, and what is just kind of extra? What should truly matter? When should we lock arms with other churches? And when have they, they have a different belief where we would say, we can't partner with you? Another way of phrasing this, a different way of thinking of it, would be if you were to leave and you were to go and try and look for a new church, what things would you look for in a new church? 
what things would matter to you or what things should really matter and what things are more superficial. All right, and so I, I've made a little bit of a target here. Okay, and we're going to walk through this, these different layers of it. Now, at the center of this target, the bullseye, should be our core beliefs. Okay, the pieces that make us Christian. And this should be a place of unity for the most part. Okay, like these, these beliefs, this is required to be considered a, a Christian. And actually, this would be the only area that would be required to be considered a Christian. As we move out here, you're going to see various other things. And we can disagree on those and we can still be a Christian, okay? So the easiest way, as I've been walking through this, the easiest way for me to understand this, and we're going to look at this next week, is actually to look at the Apostles' Creed, okay? Now this may not be completely exhaustive. This is me kind of walking through this a little bit. All right, that may be new for you. You maybe grew up in a church where you recited the Apostles' Creed. We are going to walk through it in more detail next week, okay? But the, the Apostles' Creed, it states these very, very basic beliefs, all right? It basically says, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died and rose again. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the church that we should gather together. Okay, that's like just hitting the highlights of it. It's, it's really basic, Okay, and, and really for the most part, these are the things that we need to hold to to spend eternity with Jesus. That is the basis for Christianity. Now notice what, you know, and, and you'll see this more next week, what isn't there is how we do those things. How we practice those beliefs. It's more of just these core beliefs themselves. Now next, in the, in the next circle moving out, would be this idea of like key beliefs. Okay, and these might get into how we practice something listed in the first ring. Um, okay, and, and so this, this might fall more into like, okay, what do I believe about free will versus predestination? You know, the big churchy words for that is Calvinism and Arminianism. Okay, or may, it might be your view on the Holy Spirit's role for today. Did the Holy Spirit stop at the end of the apostles? Does the Holy Spirit still move today? Uh, this might be your view of scripture versus church tradition, like I was talking about earlier. These are some key beliefs, and the reason why I put these here is because so much of what we do flows out of this area. Like, the, these are big differences. Now, these are going to be the differences that really make your major divides among denominations. All right, when you're talking Catholic, Lutheran, Baptist, Pentecostal, like, there's going to be some more major divides that happen there that play out in a lot of other things we believe. Now, understand, this still is the second tier. This is not core beliefs. This is not what makes you a Christian. And I'm not trying to make an exhaustive list of what would be in this circle. You might actually have to kind of figure that out for yourself. All right, now the next would be more of like secondary beliefs and practices. This could be how does the church governance or polity work? Like how is the church laid out? This could be specific ways that baptism is practiced. Uh, it could be the role of a pastor or minister, um, you know, whether they're like personally visiting people or other people do. Uh, this could be who is allowed to be pastors as far as like men and women. Now the difference would be if you feel called, if you are a woman and you feel called to be a pastor, this probably is not in this ring. This is probably in an earlier ring because that makes a massive difference in your life. But for the average person attending a church, it may not be in, it might be in a further out ring like this. 
beliefs on how communion is practiced, the way that a service is ran. Is it more liturgical or more free-flowing and it's not on the annual calendar? All right? And, uh, and like we said, some of these beliefs, they might already even be decided for you because the circle before this, maybe you, in that circle, you've already landed in a certain denomination. You know, if you land in certain ones, like a, a conservative Baptist denomination, whether or not women can be pastors, that's already been decided for you. Because <laughs> you've landed in that denomination. They hold those beliefs. Now, obviously, you can still vary in your beliefs. But All right, now, from there, the next ring, you would move into, like, the practices and the how. Okay, and this might even branch into more stylistic things. What is the overall vision for times of worship and services? How is that music done? Uh, what Bible translation might be read from? Okay, does the pastor preach more topically or expository? Are kids kept in the service or are they brought somewhere else? All right, like how often does the pastor talk to me versus our leaders in the church talking to me? What topics are covered in speaking? What missions projects do we specifically support? Because the place that missions would land is probably in an earlier circle, like the one before it. But how do we exactly do that? How is Christian education or discipleship done? And then we move into this last ring. And this is going to be much more superficial, opinionated. This is preferences. Okay, how does this fit into my individual desires? What time are the services at? Is the pastor preaching from an iPad or paper? Believe it or not, that matters to some people. And maybe that's you and... Just so you know, it's an iPad. All right, I'm sorry. I'll apologize. What does the building look like? Who else is going to this church? How are the lights done? Is it, is it bright? Is it dark? Is it, you know, what instruments are used? What specific songs are they singing? Do I like the small groups that they offer? What, what specific curriculum is used in kids' ministry? How often do they have a potluck meal? Do they baptize in a portable baptismal or a built-in tank or the lake? Do they use prepackaged communion or those really like dry oyster crackers that I need the juice afterwards just to get that down? These, these things as a whole, they don't matter. As far as like what our, our beliefs are as a Christian. Now, do you want to know what the problem is today? When someone goes to pick a church start to think about which circles they care about the most. Can we see the problem here? The majority of the time, the outer two circles, preferences, opinions, how things are actually done, that's what, what people are, are picking a church on, that's what they're leaving a church over, when the reality is, is where should we be really looking at first? Obviously, the center and working outward. When I was in Duluth, you know, around here, jumping from one church to the next, it's a little harder to do because you start changing some pretty core beliefs pretty quickly. In a larger city like Duluth, you can, you can jump to church to church to church and really never even change your beliefs because there's just that many churches. And I remember several times sitting down with someone who they came and visited, and I could tell pretty early on they weren't going to stay at our church. It's okay. And I just said, hey, can, I, can we have a conversation here, though? What are you looking for in, in your church? This matters. And you should write this down, and then you actually should care about it. 
Because I remember one person leaving because of a way that we were doing kids stuff and they wanted their older child to be able to still be in kids church. And we're like, no, that's, that's not the place for them. And they wanted to leave and they're like, well, we're looking for somewhere that has stuff for, for this age, you know, on Sundays. Well, two months later, because we were friends on Facebook, I saw where they landed. It actually didn't even, what they said mattered to them, didn't even make the cut in the end of how they chose a church. I have family that, that was part of a church up in kind of more Brainerd area, and they were part of a church for a long time. They were, they were like there at the beginning of it, and they ended up leaving the church and going to a different church that had very differing beliefs. For them specifically, they left a, a, a Pentecostal church, they went to a Baptist church. Now, I'm not opposed to to Baptist or Pentecostal, whatever. This is just part of the story. Okay, so the difference there is going to be what is the role of the Holy Spirit, which actually plays out to be a pretty big difference depending on the churches. Why did they make that jump? Because they wanted hymns. And their church wasn't going to sing hymns anymore. And I'm sitting there, and I remember even as a teenager being like, there is a core piece to who you are as a believer, and it has been for years. And you are willing to throw that out the window because you want a different style of music. And I remember as a teenager being like, that doesn't seem right. And just like some of those things, now I'm not, again, trying to remove those like denominational titles because I don't really care about that. I'm saying this mattered to you. It was a core of who you were. And you're willing to just kind of throw that out the window. Part of the problem is the average churchgoer maybe doesn't understand what they actually believe in the first and the second ring. And so if they don't understand it, why would it matter? And that's kind of the point of this series that we've been talking about. Do we understand these core beliefs that we say we do? You know, and if we don't understand it, don't leave one church and go to the next. Like, that, that's a growth issue right there. That's a discipleship issue. You need to figure that out. So that if, and maybe at the end of figuring it out, you still want to leave the church you're at. That's fine. But leave for the right reasons. Leave on things that matter. And leave in the right way. Choosing a church should look more at the focus of, uh, it should be more like almost like, you know, a family. Like the purpose that this church has instead of just picking a family that you get along with and you really like the house that they hang out in. And once we choose a family to be part of, we we should not leave that lightly. But obviously, looking at all these rings still means that the big church is not going to agree on everything. We're not. That's just part of life. We're always going to fall short of Paul's desire for us to be unified and be one church. But Paul uses an analogy later in the same letter that I think can help us make sense of the hundreds and thousands of denominations we have. In chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. We have all been baptized into one body by one spirit. We all share the same spirit. Okay, what Paul's saying there, that's the middle of this. That's the core Okay, He says, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, 
That does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. So first off, like if you don't fall in line with some of the most basic core beliefs, there is ground to say you are not part of this body. What I'm saying today is not universalism. I'm not saying everybody just pick your own way. We're all going to get to heaven someday. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there, there is a line. There is. Jesus is clear that not everyone is going to be for him. He says that people will come teaching another gospel. Paul talks about this, that there, there are some that are going to lead people astray. All right, saying that we should be in unity and that we are more alike than we often think, like this isn't universalism. All right, and Paul says this. He says, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Okay, just because someone says they follow Jesus, just because the, uh, their belief, like, it, it sounds kind of true at times, like, that doesn't mean that they're following him. All right, so some of the ones I'd point to today, these are the questions people ask. All right? Um, and, and, it, and if you want to have conversations about this afterwards, absolutely, we can do that. But I'm, I'm going to lay some of this out right here. All right? People that I do not think align with the core beliefs. All right? You have people like Jehovah's Witness, Mormonism, any church that would deny the Trinity, the, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay, and that, that's what some of those are. And there are, as, as we talk next week through some of these things, I'll, I'll talk about why that is. What are some of these beliefs that, that interrupt this? And you have to draw a line and say, that's not okay. That that belief has now gone too far. All right? These are easier to point out, I think, than some that maybe they're teaching the core beliefs, but they're skewing it. And you kind of sit on an edge and you're like, I don't really know. You're going to have to kind of dig into the church yourself. You're going to have to, and it might be different from person to person. All right, because there are some that are harder to pinpoint in this. I know this would be things like the prosperity gospel. Okay, where it's just like, if you're living for Jesus, if you truly are, then everything in your life should be great. Health, wealth, and happiness should be yours. Okay, word of faith. Like, if I just believe enough, I can make this happen. Okay, it could be groups that, in theory, kind of align with teachings, but they take it to the extreme too easily. They lose the heart of Christianity. Okay, like, in our area here, we can talk about, like, Amish beliefs. Okay, where do they land on these core beliefs? Are they in the core belief, but then they're just taking a few other things to the extreme? Another group that would be kind of similar in this is uh, maybe Seventh-day Adventists. I have some friends that are Seventh-day Adventists. And when you dive into it, some of the core beliefs, it seems like they're there, but then they, they also, they, they have some really th things that they're rigid about. They follow some of the Old Testament, like food laws. All right, well, on one hand, maybe you're like, okay, maybe you're just a lot healthier than I am. 
But you have these things that kind of skirt around. It's hard for us to tell. But you have to bring it back to these core beliefs and say, where are you on this? And, and I'm trying to paint broad, and this might be getting me in trouble, and I'm sorry if I'm offending you right now with this, or if you're like, I know someone who's part of this, and I, I think that, and okay, well, we'll talk about that, and, and maybe you're right. But outside of the, some of these more extreme outliers, we, we need to understand that the modern church is a lot bigger than our little church. And there isn't any group that has this perfect. Okay, one of my favorite cartoons. I'm going to show this to you. It's someone teaching a membership class. It's amazing. It says churches and Christian movements throughout history, kind of over on their thing. And you have all this like massive flow chart, all these breaks, all these divisions. And then he has circled one and he's saying, so this is where our movement came along and finally got the Bible right. And then you have these, these people over here and there's like a little kid in the back and he says, Jesus is so lucky to have us. Like, this is one of my all-time favorite cartoons right here, okay? And we laugh at it, but how many of you know that a lot of Christians have this mentality? They do. We got it all right. Everyone else is wrong. I think when... The damage in this is we start to think that like somehow we're the only church that's going to spend eternity with Jesus. And that's just not true. We, we don't have it all figured out. The reality is there are many Christian beliefs out there and some of them, they, they might even be wrong. But would they actually stop you from spending eternity with God? Okay, like this isn't an excuse to have poor theology and say none of this matters and just tick a box and like, I'm a Christian and, and that's good. I don't need to care what I believe in anything else. But for example, like there, there are different views of hell. Okay, and there are Christians that hold differing views. Like you have on one side kind of this, that hell is a real eternal place that will last forever. You know, on, on the far other side, you have people that would say hell is not real. And then you have other beliefs in between this. You have, you have beliefs like annihilationism, which is hell is real, but when someone goes to hell, they burn up and they're gone. It's not eternal. The good is eternal, the bad isn't. Okay, and, and as I say this, you're probably sitting there saying, well, I have my view, and you probably can even say that right now, what you think. But here's the question. Does an inaccurate view of hell send you to hell? Right? Like, do you get that? Like, if I hold the wrong view on this, am I no longer a Christian? Do we understand that there are some views that, that maybe are incredibly important, but they are not core to being a Christian? And that at times we may disagree with other believers. All right, now we're talking beliefs, not actions. Let me take this a little bit further and potentially get myself in trouble. Okay. Sexuality is a massive conversation nowadays. How a church believes about sexuality and what God, um, the way that he, it's intended to be, and the ramifications of that, huge conversation. Talking beliefs, not actions. Does an inaccurate belief in these areas disqualify me from eternity with Jesus? Jesus. 
Now, I know right now, I would fully expect in this room that you feel uncomfortable and you are starting to like be like, okay, where is he going with this? All right, that's okay. I, I, I want to push us at times. Understand, like we, we have a certain belief that we hold at this church, okay? And that's not changing. That's not, you know, anything like that. What I'm saying is, do we fight over things that truly matter or do we spend a lot of time fighting over something that may not actually, for that individual person, make a difference? Now, understand this. Your beliefs matter. Because what you believe, you are going to replicate in people behind you that you are raising, whether it's your children or people you're ministering to. Those beliefs matter. Those beliefs play out into other things. There are far-reaching ripples. Okay, so again, I'm not saying pick whatever belief works for you. You know, as long as you hold that core, pick anything else, whatever you want. It's a buffet. Just kind of take whatever you want. I'm not saying that. But I think we have swung too far in some of these things. We don't have everything correct. There's a famous pastor and author named uh, David Platt. and, And I love a line he says. He says, I know my theology has holes in it. I just don't know where they are. It's this humble approach to saying, I know I don't have it all figured out. I know I'm not completely right. And I will continue to humbly approach my beliefs and be willing to have conversations of maybe I'm off on this. But that doesn't mean I don't care. David Platt has very strong beliefs. But he still approaches it in this humble way. If there is one reason we spend eternity with Jesus, we, we, we believe that he made a, a way for us to God and we choose to walk that way and we surrender our life to him. If that's the one way to spend eternity with him, is the inverse true? Is, is there one way to not spend eternity with him? Not believing, not choosing to walk that way, not surrendering your life to him. Like let's stop pretending that a different church is all going to hell because they don't believe the same in regards to us on secondary issues. Because we often start to take that further and even apply it to areas outside the church. And we say, if someone doesn't think that the government should handle an issue the same way that I think they should, therefore they vote differently from me, they must be going to hell. It's a pretty common attitude nowadays. Maybe the analogy Paul used about the body of Christ having diversity Maybe that's true inside an individual church, right? We are diverse. We have different gifts in this room. We have different things that we can do. You and I are not the same. Maybe that's actually also true of the body of Christ as a whole, that our church has different giftings than the Baptist church. And we have different giftings than the Catholic church and and the Lutheran churches. And maybe they are strong in areas that we aren't. Maybe we have something to learn from them. Maybe they have something to learn from us. That's not mutually exclusive. We can do that together. And maybe all of the churches together in this town can actually make a difference in Long Prairie. Because it's not going to be one church that does it. Because not everyone's going to like our church. Not everyone's going to like me. (laughs) I know that. (laughs) We can't reach everyone. We can try. We can want to. But we won't, and we need other believers, other churches 
to be part of this. Three things I want us to, to, to grab and we're going to wrap it up really fast. All right. These are three statements I just kind of wrote down. Like, this is what I'd want us to walk away with. Okay. First one, no matter who you are, you don't have it all figured out. You don't. I don't. Second one, we are going to spend eternity with people we disagree with on, on, on some key and secondary issues. Not core issues, but key and secondary issues. We are going to spend eternity with people we disagree with. So we better be able to get along with them now. Third thing, instead of fighting against ourselves, let's focus on those who are far from God. We have differing beliefs even in this church, and I like that. I don't feel the need to try and make us all have the same beliefs on secondary issues. Let's be on the same page on core ones. And the reality is if you, if you are on the same page on key and secondary things, you're probably going to be more likely to get involved. You're going to believe in the vision. You're going to want to be part of stuff. If you disagree on those, you're probably going to kind of sit on the edge. Because why would I want to get super involved if I don't agree with it? But for the love of God, and I, I mean that phrase literally here, actually, for the love of God, like, can we, can we please stop bad-mouthing other churches and other Christians? All right, let's stand. We're called to unity, and we will never have complete uniformity. All right, we won't. It's not going to happen. Not even in our church, let alone all the other churches. And I don't know if we are supposed to have uniformity, but we can have unity in the body of Christ. Especially when we view our brothers and sisters from other denominations as part of our body, as other body parts with other giftings and not as enemies. Okay, when we view them as other body parts, and no, you don't get to pick a church you don't like and assign them the butt. Okay, that's not how that works. <laughs> Next week, we're going to walk through the Apostles' Creed. That might be new for you. Maybe you've heard it before. It's just some core beliefs that matter. And I want us to kind of look at that. I think we have to have an understanding. So let's do this. I want to just close in prayer. My hope today is that we can just be a little more unified in the capital C church, the big church, not our church, the, the church, church. That's what I want for today. Jesus, we pray that even right now that you would just soften our hearts, Lord, help us empathize more, help us to not um, be frustrated with other people, to not uh, drive these divisions deeper than what they need to be. God, at the same time, I pray that we do dig in, that we that we understand what it is we believe, that we have scriptural backing for it, that we care about that. God, this is not an excuse to, to say that none of this matters and, and we're all just going to get along. God, that we should care about what we believe. Help us to find that balance in the middle of being passionate about this while not pushing other people away. We know there's holes in our theology, God. Help us find those. 
not so that we can be right, but so that we can be drawing closer to you. Jesus, we ask this in your name.